in the digital reality, evolution over revolution prevails. The QA approaches and techniques that worked yesterday will fail you tomorrow. So free your mind. The automation cyborg has been sent back in time. TED Speaker Jonathan Wright's mission is to help you save the future from bad software. All right. Hello, Nico. How's it going? Oh, good, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. And I have tons of questions for you today. Wonderful. Well, this is going live stream uh, across the world uh, on numerous ch channels. We're also going to put it onto testtalks.com, uh, which is also um, a podcast series. So this will be available on YouTube as well on the testing-world.com website as well. So we're going to do this. Uh, and obviously, it's on live on, on LinkedIn and, and numerous other available channels. So yeah, Nico, um, before you get into introducing me, why don't I just do a quick one of introducing yourself uh, as you're going to be the hostess with the Moses today? <laughs> sure. Uh, so hi, everyone. I'm Nico Carnival, uh, and I'm a product marketing manager here at Keysight. Uh, love working with Jonathan. He's uh, very supportive of everything that we do on the customer initiatives front. Um, and yeah, I think today we just wanted to talk about some exciting stuff that's coming up. Uh, I had tons of questions and John was like, do you want to do a live stream? I said, sure, why not? Uh, <laughs> so so that's my intro and I'll go right back to you. So Jonathan, before we, we start, and I know uh, for some, a lot of you are already seeing Jonathan live or you attended one of these uh, webinars or might be familiar, but for the people that don't know you, can you just give a quick uh, overview of like your background, uh, where does your passion for testing come from and all, all that sorts of stuff? Yeah, no, great question. And so, yeah, so my, uh, legacy story, I suppose, or, uh, is, you know, going all the way back to the nineties. Um, you know, actually, and I started off, um, as a manual tester, which I think is quite interesting for today's session. Um, and I was just, I was working at a large German, uh, communication company. And they just handed me over this huge book of requirements and test cases. And that said to me, OK, off go into the lab for for the six weeks between my university breaks and, and uh, go and test this uh, PABX system uh, and then eventually onto some voice over IP. And so I was kind of pretty much just stuck in a lab um, with all these kind of questions about, well, what is SIP, SIP, what is VoIP, you know, what are all these technologies that I'm testing? And I wasn't a domain expert and I wasn't really a, um, you know, a, a manual tester with a whole stack of testing patterns. And I was kind of following some manual test scripts. Um, and that started me on my, I guess, my passion for automation. And, and three decades, four decades later, uh, we're still kind of solving the same problems and the same challenges, I suppose. Wow. You you don't look that old, mate. You're doing well. Good skincare routine, honestly. But three or four decades, uh, well done. I imagine a lot has changed. Uh, we were talking a bit earlier about your TEDx. That was about uh, five years ago, and you were uh, discussing cognitive engineering. Uh, from that time to today, like what's changed? Yeah, it's it's a great question. So you know, I I hit the hundred um, events over the last conference season so the conference season is thankfully just finishing as the festivities start up 
Um, and obviously, I've been talking about AI augmented testing or generative AI um, for the last 12 months um, at various different conferences around the world. Uh, and I've been kind of, I suppose, asking that same question, you know, what has changed since I started talking, um, you know, I did my, when I did my TED talk uh, around um, cognitive engineering and machine learning and artificial intelligence, what's really changed? You know, what's changed today versus, and obviously there's so much noise in, in the in the industry around uh, GPT and, and chat GPT, you know, has this really changed the the the, the forefront of, of technology and artificial intelligence? And I, I think the answer is probably no, uh, but also the answer is probably uh, it's got into a lot more people's hands. You know, I think a lot more people have seen or have used these kind of platforms, especially in the last 12 months. Um, and a kind of a bit more understanding of, of what, uh, you know, a subset of artificial intelligence around large language models can actually do for them in their, you know, general day-to-day -day lives, whether that's writing essays uh, or just trying to find out information about something they don't know. Uh, what which you know Google and Ask Jeeves have been doing for for decades now, but so so has things changed? And uh, you know, I kind of joked in the sense of saying no, but you know, I did when I did the talk, I talked about Turing and and also Hewlett Packard back in 1939, which is the Keysight Heritage story about build and test, you know, and that incremental design, you know, post agile kind of uh, approach. Um, and then I talked a little bit about you know, Turing and, and those early days and the singularity. And, and within that singularity story is, of course, this view of narrow intelligence versus general uh, intelligence. And of course, we're still very on the narrow form. Uh, it does feel a bit more general, but it isn't. Um, and then we're, we're not anywhere on that trajectory towards the singularity. And, and really, you know, I think this is, this is where I think things have changed a little bit in the sense of what five, six years ago, I was kind of saying an Oxford University at the time, I put this slide in the backdrop, which said, which are the jobs that will be targeted first? And the ones I said were things like, um, you know, legal and, you know, maybe industry focused ones. Uh, and then at the opposite end, the ones that weren't going to be targeted were things like creativity and and, and art. And, and really, actually, if we've seen what's happened in maybe the last two, three years with, with GAN, so generative adversarial networks, we've seen actually great creativity coming out of these systems, you know, their ability to generate images through things like DALI um, is, is, is phenomenal. And I think now people are realizing actually the creativity component could be something they've targeted first. And I think that is probably when we come into looking at things like uh, generative AI, we've, we've really looked at what are the problems that everybody is trying to solve today? Um, and maybe they're still not in a professional context, as in, you know, how do I, when I'm in a room, uh, in a lab, and I'm trying to test a complex system, how do I understand, uh, you know, how to go about it? Whereas, actually, if I ask it a question around Brazil, it'll probably give me a very good understanding of what you would celebrate at Christmas and, and some of the traditions, because it's able to have the knowledge of the world, shall we say. I, you know, I agree with you. Uh, I think sometimes when you go to look for some information in Google, because uh, nowadays it's not about the right information, it's who has the best SEO and you have like all the ads and everything. I think that ChatGPT sometimes can just give you that answer. It's a nice and consumable way. So, uh, you know, 
as a search engine, I think it's a, it's a lot better. And I've tried a few different ones as well. Uh, but I do, I do have a, a, another question for you, uh, in terms of like the trends and emerging technologies that came, uh, I know that, uh, AI and Gen AI are probably like the, one of the, the highest ones on that list, but how do you see these trends shaping up the future of testing? Uh, anything specific about Gen AI? Like, well, what, what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, what is what does the future hold? Um, and I think part of what we've seen is a, a rapid investment in in these generative AI technologies. Um, and I think what we haven't seen is probably the use cases which have added value to a you know efficiency uh, on day to day domain and industry based jobs. Right? Um, you know, we've seen a lot of publications around. You know, it's passed the bar. Uh, but it's not able to become a legal, uh, you know, uh, exact, you know, uh, a practice law in the same as it outperforms medical st students uh, with five years experience, but it's not able to do live surgery. So, you know, I think part of it is it's a step in the right direction. And you can kind of straight away understand that actually it's it's a human in the loop symbolic relationship that really what we're trying to achieve is that actually we still need the human to validate what um is coming out of these systems in the same way we validated what we we got from returns from google which was kind of the problem we would type something into our favorite search engine and the next three articles we'd say well actually i've diagnosed myself with something because i've read md.com and now I feel like I can make the same diagnosis as a medical doctor. And, and the answer is you probably can't, right? You know, you very easy to say, you know, I will attempt to do that based on, you know, on, you know, understanding and interpreting the data, but actually you need a specialist still in the loop. And I think this is where things get really interesting is how do you augment the, the scientists, the surgeons, the healthcare professionals, the, you know, industry experts to be able to do even more with with less and i think this is a theme probably we've seen post covid anyway is you know we're now working remotely uh without being in a collab kind of environment you know when i'm stuck on a question who do i ask you know and i think this is where i think there is a real great opportunity is that it's start, starting to understand how organizations work you know and i think this was always the challenge, you know, the, the people process uh, technology kind of um, standard kind of uh, approach is, okay, well, how do I understand how I do business compared to how maybe a competitor does business? What are all, what's the magic source that we do within our systems of systems? And I think that's where it's really interesting is that actually, if you can create, and this was kind of my prediction probably over a year ago, was if you could create a specific gpt to an industry so a healthcare one but also a healthcare one that knows testing or a healthcare one that knows uh development or iot you know practices is that actually those tuned models could be really powerful and in the same way we're developing and we'll talk about it a little bit later but we're developing you know aerospace and defense with 6g for instance as an example you know as 6g uh capabilities come online these cutting edge technologies plus industry 
suddenly mean it's going to have a lot better understanding. And I could envision myself back when I was in my, you know, uh, in my teens or my my late teens, um, you know, being sat in that lab room going, well, what's voice over IP? And it literally saying, okay, here's the different protocols that SI, the SIP protocols that you've got to test. This is the silent suppression algorithm that it uses so to to invoke it you need to do these type of tests and then as i'm not an experienced tester it could also help me with well maybe you could build a classification tree to build each scenario up so different types of phones ringing other different phones with different protocol standards this would be a, an effective test which i have would have non, no ex, you know exposure to because i wouldn't be a te- telco specialist as well as I wouldn't be a testing specialist when I started my early days career. So I think that's where things get really interesting. No, I, this is great, Jonathan. Thanks for sharing. Um, I was, I was, as you were talking, I was remembering, you know, when I was a kid and it was a matter of, we didn't have as ma- as much information digitally. Uh, we're still like, oh, I have to go to the uh, library, you know, write down the chapter of the book, etc. And now it's the opposite. We have like a, so much information uh, digitally that we need to find, okay, what, what is the right one? And as you mentioned, in some uh, very regulated se- sectors like healthcare, uh, it could mean uh, that it's it's extremely important because it might be like a miss- mission critical system or anything like that for ANZ as well. So uh, on that topic and what you've been discussing about Gen AI, uh, what can you share about uh, latest product developments or is there anything like that that you you want to talk about yeah sure so uh, you know i think that's probably a good place to talk about what we've been working on for the last year um and so we've been working on what we've referred to as lovingly as the synthetic domain expert but really think of it as a subject matter expert um which has that exact same capability it's uh its own tuned large language model that knows both testing as a domain um, and uh, an industry verticals such as healthcare or any you know aerospace and defense or telco uh, as examples um and it's you know it's completely offline and you know I, I guess you know most people would probably say at this point in time well you know who cares whether it's offline and you know, a lot you've probably seen from my LinkedIn post, but a lot of the EU AI Act in a similar way to GDPR and then the California Data Privacy Act is, is going to come in force next year. And you're going to see less and less usage of um, of public facing uh, and public trained GPTs. Right. You know, I think partly we, you know, we have the concern of where this information is being comes from in the first place in the same way using your search engine it the first eight or nine articles you, you know how does it know where they're coming from and as you pointed out earlier it's, it's seo right you know it's it's partly who's paying the most gets you higher up in the ranks um so there's a there's a question around trustworthiness of of, of these systems um and I think that's the first primary concern. And then the second one is privacy, right? You know, data privacy, we've all now understand post Cambridge Analytica days, the importance of, of our own privacy of our data and what we can and cannot share. And, and with that in mind, you probably don't want to be sharing IP from your organization, or I probably put, put this in a, in, a, in a harder sense is you should not be 
uh, under any circumstances sharing IP from your organization with with an, a public facing um, GPT. And, and so therefore, that, you know, is is kind of where I think most of I've seen a lot of other people, um, you know, ask, um, you know, GPT to create test cases for them or, you know, create scenarios or test data. And, and, and there's certain, certain use cases where you could probably say, well, it's quite harmless, right? If you're asking it to create synthetic data generation for a generic retail, um, you know, uh, app, retail application, then fine, right? I think it's it's not a problem. But if you're in a mission critical landscape, then um, absolutely not, right? You shouldn't be asking it certain information that maybe reveal information about your organization or patient details or anything like that. So offline definitely is is super important. And the next thing is around um, it, it is is around this kind of domain and expertise area. So, you know, we know these GPTs, a GPT is pretty much coming out every other day, uh, a new flavor, whether it be Llama from, from people like Meta or, you know, the Mixtral uh, mix, uh, which we use at the moment, which is the eight times seven B large language model. Um, again, it, you, you really need to be able to take a base model, which performs reliably to, to a high, you know, high accuracy. And then you need to take that and then you need to tune it on what, what you're asking it to do. So in our case, we're in the testing domain, right? So, you know, to testing it, uh, pa passing it, things like ISTQB, testing terminology from different, um, you know, accredited sources, you know, is important. So that it understands testing. And I use the word kind of very similar to Neo um, in the sense of saying, I know Kung Fu, it's a now knows testing, right? Yes, it takes a bit of time to tune and you wouldn't want to tune it yourself or fine tune the, the model yourself because it would, you know, it would definitely uh, leave your bank balance quite dry. But, you know, part of it is once you fine tune the model to be better at testing, um, then, you know, you get the benefits of ask, being able to ask it anything and it comes back with, a you know, a response, but also a response coming from a credible source, which it will actually tell you. It's only... GPTs that we, you know, we've used like OpenAI that don't tell you where the source of what the information comes from because it's got legal impacts, right? There's been a lot of noise in the industry around confidential and, and maybe even proprietary data has appeared on these GPTs and, and they shouldn't have. So, but most of the large language models will tell you exactly where it got the source from in the first place. Um, so that's the next stage is, you know, tune it so that it knows Kung Fu or knows testing. And it also knows your industry, so it knows, you know, healthcare or or your specialism in in your uh, your particular field of expertise. Um, and then the the final bit, which I think is actually the hardest bit, and it's something maybe uh, again people haven't really done, is is looking at the things like rag architectures and the retrieval uh, approaches of of how they look at information. So what we've been building is um, allows you to feed sources of knowledge, sources of trust. So uh, if you kind of look at the new model for testing by Paul Gerard, it talks about sources of, of trust or sources of knowledge. Um, and so you can feed it everything, right? You can feed it your your confluences, your, you know, your, your specification documents, your, um, you know, your entire test repo, if you really want to. Um, and then it will use that as, a, uh, in essence, as a, a retrieval mode for reference information. So that IP sensitive information information 
completely secure it, offline never goes to the internet um and you know it allows people to actually then query uh, your special source so if you want to say you know how does this system work you know what's the you know the parameters that it should operate within um if you're in automotive say it could be breaking tolerance rates for certain temperatures you know you'd have to look that up whereas this then builds that information and says oh i can tell you it's 46 or 48 under heavy braking under a heavy rain or something so suddenly it knows not only kung fu but it also knows your special industry which you sit in which is again makes it so that it becomes like a key site large language model or a you know your favorite car manufacturer uh large language model it, it starts knowing a lot more that's specific to that company and that company only and then it's got the industry knowledge behind it and then you've got the next level which is is also knowledge graphs and, and knowledge graphs are representation of information uh, again, really important because you've got to understand the relationship between information that's happening. So, you know, in the US, this should happen. In the UK, this should happen. On the 31st of this leap year next year, this, you know, accounting thing should happen. You know, part of it, it needs to understand and be able to reference the knowledge graph of, of, of where the information uh, relates to. Um, and this is what we've kind of seen for a lot of things like digital twin definition languages and, and a, a few more digital twin kind of moves, which we've been doing quite a lot recently, uh, introducing digital twin technologies to understand systems of systems better. That then builds up an even better model of being able to understand and reference um, complex systems. So that's kind of the journey in a way. Um, and, okay. and it all owes the new capabilities. So it is. it doesn't sound like it's really ex that exciting, but when you put all of what I've just said together, it means, you know, reboot Jonathan, 18-year-old Jonathan, you know, he would have not only been able to understand everything that that company did and how they configured the, the PABXs and the SAP, the SIP protocols and everything else and their, their proprietary IP, it would know telco it would know everything to do with uh communications and, and all of read all the documentation for every one of the systems that i was talking to and then more importantly which is where i guess everyone's probably listening to is it generates the tests so it would have said to me okay yeah you've got a book full of a hundred thousand tests which you've been told to do for six months and the the extension of that story was six months later i went back to my boss at the time a guy called brian um and i handed him the, the book which was a physical piece a physical piece of paper and i said to him look i'm completely you know being honest you know i've tested every single one of those eight thousand four hundred and forty two combinations of phone a rings phone b and then hangs up and then rings phone c i've done every single one of those combinations and i've worked relentlessly for 12 hours a day for because i had that level of enthusiasm as you are when you're coming out of university uh for six six weeks consistently um and he turns around to me and he said well i i believe you you know because they've never failed and they've not failed for the last 12 years and i at that point in time part of my my heart stopped in the sense of he knew it was going to pass they were all going to pass and they'd done this every six months or whatever the release cadence was for the last 12 years and the systems had always worked 
and I was checking. I wasn't really testing. Um, and more importantly, you know, I wasn't really adding any value because I was just proving that what was true for the last 12 years was the same. And at that point in time, I kind of swore never to do manual testing again. And then secondly, it was like, there must be a way to automate this six weeks of, of, of work so that the next person coming in doesn't have to do it, uh, who was coming back off holiday, ironically. Um, and then I spent the next three years of that organization fully automating that system with an abacus, which was not unfortunately one of those things you move across, but it was a digital automation system for PABXs. Um, which would auto call everything, and, and and you know it was the not punch cards, but kind of binary kind of based system, and that person was no longer required. So there is an opposite side to this. I think the human is still very valuable, and that human would have added value if they were able to think about well, what questions, what tests should I write, and this system would have actually helped this guy say, you know okay, well, these are the next 24 tests that you should try, which are completely unique, never been tested before, and have a good chance of breaking the system. And I think the domain expertise of testers, manual testers, exploratory testers, is, is so much more valuable when you've got the power of an AI augmented testing engine behind it, which is feeding you, well, what do you think? You know, Would this happen if, while it's on its boot-up process, you pulled out the back cable, or when it's on a boot-up process, you tried to make a call before it had, you know, connected to the to the the VoIP server. You know, you could try running all of these weird per permutations, the chaos engineering landscapes, and you know, it, it you could still that find value. And the domain expert would say, well, actually, that's not going to add any value, or that might add value. So this is the 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 thing is revolutionally 2024 is going to be a huge year because we're going to start seeing solutions like the synthetic domain expert which is going to start augmenting testing to help both supercharge and super, give superpowers to manual testers but at the same time generate all of the automation assets um, and all the models and all the tests that they need and tell them the right test and the right next test um, and, you know, I joke, but, you know, my Christmas dinner with, with Gareth on Friday, I kind of said to him, you know, we're, you know, this isn't, this beyond automation that actually this could be classed as, um, it, a fully, uh, sentient tester. Uh, if we look at the technology, cause it looks at the screen at that moment in time and says, I know what I should be testing next because I know Kung Fu, but I also know everything about this entire organization that's ever been written down. And I've also got 40 billion uh, reference points that I can potentially tap into. Um, and this sentient tester isn't going to replace manual testers, but it isn't automation because automation in the same way Dorothy Graham talked about it in the 60s, 70s, is that if you automate something, the chances of likelihood of finding any issues with that is slim to none, even with data and keyword driven approaches, you know, it's still, you know, is just testing the same thing, what you've gone through a manual tester, whereas a sentient tester is as alive as you are, or not, hopefully, <laughs> but, you know, yeah. we'll actually go and test this with an, a brain, an AI synthetic brain behind it thinking of every single possible permutation or path infinite probability engine from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it will know more than what the answer to the world of 42 is, but it would 
least try 42 in a in a postcode field at, at the very least but anyway I, I know that was a very long extension but that's kind of this this is literally a Turing kind of spot where we've 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 gone into a new direction and we've we've now realized that after three four decades that automation may be not the answer but it's the beginning of the rest of what could be unlocked with this kind of capability and and leveraging synthetic knowledge across your organization to to, to power testing like it's never been te uh, tested before i love it i love the reference as well jonathan uh the kung fu for matrix and uh the hitchhike uh guides the galaxy uh, i think one it's i was i'm, I'm binge watching uh suits as well uh and one of the main characters mike ross has like this photographic memory and you've seen these in in movies you've seen these in technology where there's like this desire of just like having this information ready to consume and it's almost like a superpower so uh we've taken a little bit less emphasis on the technology uh, and more like on the person that's going to be using the technology in in a few sentences like what would you say is uh the biggest benefit for the testers that will be using that like what can they what do you think they'll be able to achieve how's they going to make their life uh the work life better like what, what would you say yeah it's 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 interesting i think you know i'll, I'll do this as a, a bit of a live demo just to throw you back in the mix um and while we were just being talking i've just literally pulled down a, a, a open source uh offline large language model um not our large language model because that would take me way too long to build configure it and get it working while we're on a conversation <laughs> um but let me just share it and i'm going to get you to ask it a question um in a true kind of don't ever do anything live uh kind of way um <laughs> so this is actually just um a uh, a llama model so it's very small even though i do have 64 gig and two uh tesla um 24 gig cards in here um but i've just added it a whole stack of, of of documentation around testing um so what would you ask it and, and more importantly how would you ask it oh that's a tough question uh does it have to be about testing do you wonder about anything? about anything that's the whole point it could be about the entire world okay um can you explain me how generative ai works Ah. and now you get the the great bit unless it crashes which it usually does uh or lang chain crashes is that i am now using my gpu all 24 of them to uh, to get that to cr give you that response now you probably noticed by this indicator on the right hand side this will probably take 30 seconds for it to do because i'm not using my gpus at this point in time um so you know this is in essence gives you a bit of a feeling of what actually generative ai is because this is now having to use what they refer to as tokens and we'll see in a second that there's a lot of tokens per second that have been pushing through so even though it feels like it's not really doing anything it's doing a lot from a, a, a neural net kind of perspective. And what we're building, which has actually got uh, graph neural nets, uh, GNN, 
uh, to feed in the graph stuff, that just makes it exponentially even longer, which is why if you ask this same question using our synthetic uh, subject matter expert, it would take, um, um, you know, five minutes without um, any kind of acceleration or DPU or a dedicated processing unit. Um, but, you know, our first version, which we're releasing uh, in, in um, early January 2024, will actually run on consumer hardware. So the idea, which is why this machine exists, is to be able to run it just using a CPU, but switch it and turn this little uh, zero to one once you decide to unlock it with the capability of using something like an Apple Studio or something which has unified memory and, and can push these large models. So a an eight times seven B is about 36 to 48 gigabytes, which is, is quite big. Um, and will not run in your standard, you know, your, your graphics card, which even your PS five or your, your Xbox has, right. So this is a, a real kind of, uh, gives you an idea of just how much is needed. Right. And so, you know, here's the explanation of, you know, of what it's trying to explain. So it's broken it down. It's explained it's, Generative, uh, generative universal networks, which we've talked about, consists of two net neural networks that generate new content, uh, variation autoencoders, um, and then what what could generative BIA can be used for? Well, for you, especially in marketing landscape, it can be content correction, right? The creation, and you might have seen the new uh, mashup of a, a a Santa store with a with a hip hop track. You know, it's starting to create music because it can understand music and, and 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 all sorts of other things. So I think part of it um, is it can do kung fu. It can it can do um, anything you ask it to do, but you've got to understand the structure of what you're asking it. And this is the the interesting part about what we've actually done is that we use what we call prompt tuning, which is in essence not asking it just one question; it's asking it a series of questions. Um, so the idea before is you you kind of you gave it the the question of um, how would generative AI works, but you say in the context of marketing, as I'm a marketeer um, and I'm working on a project which is all about you know um, SEO optimization or you know optimizing a, a session like today's you know uh, audience or impressions, you know you ask it nine or 10, 15 questions depending what it is depending on the flow of how it goes through. And then what you get out on the other side is something which is quite consistent because you're in essence, uh, there's lots of tools that you can use to say, well, this is what I expect the answer to come back as, right? So if you, you wanna post something on Twitter, it'll say, well, if the answer exceeds 255 characters, which obviously isn't a limit anymore, but you could then tell it, it must come in this, it must you know, mention as many you know, high profiling, um, you know, keywords as possible to, you know, get the most impressions. And you could refine it to the perfect tweet. Uh, we can't use the word tweet because it's now x.com. Um, so we call it uh, x or whatever it is that you've just sent. Uh, I think it's called post. Uh, but, you know, you get the idea is that you know what good looks like in your industry. And what this does is it allows you to refine that to say, okay, this is what good looks like. And I want the consistent, let's see, that every time it's a winner and I know what the impression should look like so I can measure success off if I do put that post out that I get the expected response that I'm doing. So it's applicable to every industry and every domain, but the real special source is in the, the prompt tuning 
for the questioning and the axioms that you expect. So I'm expecting a test strategy. Once you've written my test strategy, I'm going to look at it and say, there's no entry or exit criteria. There's no non-functional requirements defined, and there's no performance metrics. And within those performance metrics, I've got no volumetrics versus uh, profile type of stress spike, what soap testing. My soap testing doesn't have the right duration on it, doesn't have the amount of users on it. Those axioms for each component are defined within the graph that actually then it can say, well, it's not a valid test strategy. So I'm going to give you that back and say, work harder on defining me the non-functional requirements against this system, which is SAP overnight batch with four terabytes or one petabyte of data. How long should this take on this hardware? There's no way, well, there is a way a human would do that, but they'd be very unhappy going through and trying to understand all the, the dimensions, whereas this can do it in eight to 10 minutes while you're... Uh, having your uh, coffee, your favorite coffee brand, which I, I know I now shouldn't be advertising. <laughs> no, this is just being great, Jonathan. Honestly, thank you so much for taking the time and going through it. Uh, I can definitely see the value, understand a bit more about Gen AI uh, and you know, how I could leverage, uh, especially on, on my role. Uh, and yeah, it was, it was great speaking with you uh, today. Uh, hope you have a, a good one. And thanks everyone for watching. Thanks guys, have a great day.